This episode of the MGMA podcast is brought to you by Walmart Business. It's the Walmart you love, now for business. Get everything you need for your staff and patients in one place. Enjoy big savings on health and safety products, cleaning supplies, over-the-counter medications, and much more. And don't forget the break room snacks. Create a free account today and start shopping at business.walmart.com. That's business.walmart.com. From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. Last year, we focused on bringing in 75% of our new patients within seven days of their request. So in a surgical specialty, we're saying that three out of every four, we're going to get that patient in within seven days of the request uh, from that referral. We started out in the mid 50%. We're well over 85 now. And so that that really benchmark or best practice is 75% and do that for surgical specialties is, is pretty unheard of. That's Keith Payne talking about measuring the most important KPIs that his practice is tracking. We'll hear more from Keith on how to develop a tiered huddle approach, how that approach is different than the traditional meeting structure, and how to get buy-in from your team. But first, a word from our sponsors. The COVID-19 pandemic has caused dramatic changes to physician practices with many practices now considering what changes they need to implement to address fluctuating patient volume. One change involves instant elasticity, which gives practices the ability to lower cost as volume decreases, but also the ability to ramp up operations seamlessly during times of growth. Join R1 and three physician group leaders for a roundtable discussion on sustaining positive practice performance. This webinar, titled Positioning Your Physician Organization for Success in Times of Change, takes place on Thursday, October 8th at 1 p.m. Eastern. To register, please visit r1rcm.com mgma. MGMA has designed an event to help healthcare leaders wherever they are on their career journey. We see you, we understand you, we're here for you. And this year, more now than ever before, is the year to gain best practices, tips, tools, and overall knowledge on how to rise above the economic and financial challenges that 2020 has brought. Join us for the Virtual Healthcare Experience of the Year at the Medical Practice Excellence Conference, October 19th through the 21st. Register today at mgma.com mpec20. In one practice, a tiered huddle system connected frontline staff to all levels of leadership. The huddles empowered employees at all levels, not only to do their work, but to do the right work. We're joined today by Keith Payne, Senior Director, Surgical Specialties and Hospital Affiliations at UC San Diego Health. 
Keith helped guide this process and will explain key steps his team took to find success. Keith, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Daniel. I appreciate it. Yeah. Now, we're going to take a, a deep dive into somewhere where you're having success. That's with tiered, a tiered huddle approach. Um, but first, I want to get a little bit, bit better understanding of your practice, want to get the size and scope of it, just so our listeners get an idea of what you're dealing with every day. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a administrative diet partner for three surgical departments here at UC San Diego Health, and where the area is only academic medical center. So I work with urology, orthopedic surgery, and general surgery, five divisions within general surgery, which is plastics, vascular, minimally invasive, colorectal, and otolaryngology. So all of that, seven different uh, service lines, really equates to about 130,000 clinic visits, about 15,000 surgeries annually, around 200 faculty physicians, residents, fellows, APPs, and around 250 employees. I also partnered with uh, five hospital affiliates and then four main sports affiliates. Okay. The, yeah, there's definitely some some diversity there in the specialties you're you're dealing with. Uh, one thing that we've talked about with our um, MGMA members is some of the impact uh, that's been related to COVID and remote uh, access uh, has has really impacted some specialties more than others. Is that is that something you've seen as well there? Yeah, absolutely. When you when you think about when we went into, you know, kind of closing our doors, if you will, or backing off from face-to-face -face and elective type procedures, then, yeah, we, we tried to bring in only the patients that we needed to see, and then we had to do a quick pivot over to, to telehealth, because we still had to stay connected uh, to those patients. Mm -hmm. Now, you're the Senior Director, Surgical Specialties and Hospital affili Affiliations at UC San Diego Health. Um, as you were describing, I mean, the size and scope there, you, you've got so much on your plate. So just wanting to get an idea then, what has your focus been during this COVID-19 era? Uh, what have you had to do differently there? Yeah, absolutely. As I just spoke to, it's really focused on two main initiatives, access and telehealth. For access, we've really been focused on the process around safely bringing in those patients to the clinic who actually need a physical exam or an image or tests completed versus who can be seen virtually. And then when we think about those virtual visits, you know, March 16th was a Monday. I remember because the Friday before is when we got together for the planning, and it was Friday the 13th. Uh, mm -hmm. spent the weekend on shifting from face-to-face -to, -face to virtual, and we converted about a thousand face-to-face visits to virtual visits, trained over 400 providers over the weekend so that we wow. could quick shift uh, to the telehealth component. We'd had that program in place for about three years, but our three-year total was under 900, and okay. we surpassed that in three days, and right now we're uh, approaching 135,000 since March 16th, and so our other component that we're focused on is really optimizing those workflows for telehealth. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that over the weekend, I mean, that was a huge lift to get those providers ready. What about from the patient side of it? What, what did you have to do to get them up to speed so they felt comfortable with the technology and 
felt comfortable with those virtual visits. Yeah, that's a good point. We not only had to educate providers on how to use the platform, we had to educate administrators as well to be that champion in those clinics, in those areas to help those providers. Because we couldn't touch every provider in that weekend, right? We had 1,100 physicians that were going to potentially trans transition to this in, in some shape, uh, fashion, or form. And so we had to have the administrators kind of be those champions. And then we also had to have those administrators and call takers to reach out to the patients. We had to educate the patients on how to use the platform, had to get them to download it, and then had to walk them through the visit. So, you know, transitioning a thousand face-to-face uh, -to, -face to virtual within three days was uh, pretty challenging, but, you know, great team, uh, great teamwork. And you know, there's so many great things that have come out of COVID that have taught us to do things differently and, and really are going to make healthcare better moving forward. But that team approach was, was pretty phenomenal. Mm -hmm. What was the communication like then? You had a, a thousand patient visits like you were talking about that you had to kind of transfer over. How were you getting in touch with the patients then? Was there an outreach program? Were you calling them? What, what were you doing to make sure they knew what to do? Yeah, exactly. We had to reach out to them telephonically. Uh, if we weren't speaking to them, we, we couldn't have walked them through the process. Um, you know, it, it was it was probably 1% of our patient visit volume prior to COVID. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we got into April and it was 55% of our volume. And so, yeah, we had to, to walk them through uh, on a telephone call. Right. What's that percentage now then when we're looking at September? Uh, has that leveled off? If some people decided, hey, I like this telehealth, I'm going to keep doing this. What's, what's that been like? Absolutely. You know, we've increased our volumes to pre-COVID. and We've been tracking that. About 25% of our volume right now is through virtual visits. And so we've reached our pre-COVID volume and how we define that pre-COVID volume was a, a rolling uh, 365 days prior to 316. And so we're well above that, that volume because of telehealth. And in some of those specialties, medicine specifically, they don't need brick and mortar, you know? So we've, mm -hmm. we've learned that you can expand and increase your access, especially in medical specialties where some of those patients don't have to come in uh, and primary care as well. And so we've been able to, to push past some specialties are at 150% pre-COVID volumes because we've, we've learned how to complete those visits virtually and, and the patients are happy to do it. They don't, they don't have to drive, they don't have to park, they don't have to wait uh, and then leave and, you know, drive again. It's, it's a lot more, um, a lot less time consuming. Right. Now you've mentioned something a couple of times here. You've talked about the teamwork you guys have. You had to have an organized group of people there to pull some of the things off like that, uh, that huge transformation over that first weekend. And then uh -huh. the continued drive towards being able to reach those patients wherever. And, uh, the reason I bring that up is you, you're going to be speaking at the Medical Practice Excellence Conference. That's going to be in October. Um, I was really interested when I, when I first saw your title. It's Daily Engagement System, a tiered huddle approach. I can see you believe this stuff because I can, I can see you on video and behind you on a whiteboard. You've got Daily Engagement System written there. I mean, it is, it's ingrained in your brain there. So, 
let's just start with some definitions. Tell us what is a daily engagement system? What is that? Yeah, let me let me back up just a little yeah. bit. Yeah, you 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 brought some of those components in. I I was exposed early on in my healthcare uh, career to lean, and it really taught me to be a process oriented thinker. Uh, okay, everything's a process, and when I when I started to go into uh, operations and understanding how to, you know, move the needle in a, a lot of our strategic direction, developing KPIs, how do we do it? Uh, and so I, I really, you know, embraced this, this daily engagement, other areas it's called daily management. Mm -hmm. And so I'll explain how we changed it, but ultimately, Daily engagement is a tiered huddle approach to daily operations. And team huddling is not a new concept. We've been doing this for quite some time. But this is a system connecting those huddles through multiple leadership levels. That's one thing we haven't done without this. So you have a huddle at multiple different levels of leadership, and you're connecting it through bi-directional communication. So the common in industry nomenclature for a tiered huddle system is daily management system. You'll see this through some of the industry leaders, uh, Intermountain, uh, Mayo, Cleveland, and they call it DMS, you know, daily management system. But our goal was to engage our frontline employees to be problem solvers in their daily work. We wanted to create an army of problem solvers. And so we put together a rapid process improvement workshop. We call them RPIWs, which is a lean process improvement event. Uh, again, seeing that connection to lean. And we changed the management to engagement and so we came up with daily engagement. It's really a management system. Yeah. And it's how you manage your operations. Yeah, you, <laughs> you mentioned a pretty interesting term there, a phrase, army of problem solvers. So as you mentioned right off the bat, you've got a huge organization there. Not, every, not all of our listeners who are in practices have something the size and scope of what you're talking about does this make sense if you've got a five doc practice or a 20 doc practice? I mean, what's, where does this make sense and, and how do you make it work if you're, it's truly one of those all hands on deck where uh, those practice administrators are wearing every hat imaginable? Yeah, it's very scalable. And to your point, we have clinics that are two providers, you know, okay. maybe one provider within that clinic, it's a different provider, maybe every day of the week, but you know, on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, all the way through Friday, it's generally only one provider uh, having two sessions per day. So it's very scalable. And it's a way to really engage the providers and, you know, front and back office staff. And then you go into the hospital the same way. It's to engage them in workflow challenges. You know, the concept that we speak to is if it needs to be es escalated, it's an easy way to tell. It, is it going to impact uh, how we deliver care to our patients, is it gonna delay that patient care? And if so, then it needs to escalate, we need to talk about it, and then we need to figure out a way to improve that process. So absolutely, the small clinics, uh, and you start stacking them, as you have, you know, I have 26 clinics, and so within those 26, then we're bringing it all together through a tiered huddle system to where it eventually comes up, and then we're sharing those ideas, sharing those successes, sharing those challenges. So yeah, absolutely scalable. Okay, so, Let's take a deeper look at the tiered huddle system. Um, I'm just trying to figure out how is this different, what you're talking about, than that traditional or conventional meeting structure? What's, what's different here, what's new? Yeah, and this doesn't eliminate 
our conventional meeting structure. It's just a complement to it. And I'll say this, it's a quick check-in with teams at multiple levels to ensure that our caregivers have what they need to serve our patients without delay. So that sounds very nebulous, but we have to start with the concept and drill in from there. And so we have five levels of huddles, tier one through tier five. Tier one starts in the clinic or department, right? And inpatient side, you call it a department. So it incurred tier ones at the clinic or department level, and we continue to build upon that information until we get to the CEO at tier five. And there's three components to that system. Readiness, or what we would call operations. Uh, improvement, it's not just enough to run your business. You have to figure out ways to improve it on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And alignment, or the strategy. And that's really that connection to that higher enterprise piece. And huddles are 15 minutes or less. You go over 15 minutes, okay, well now we're having a meeting. Mm -hmm. uh, and we facilitate that bi-directional communication. So escalations up or bubbling things up and then cascading things down from that tier five down. What does the communication look like in a huddle? Um, give us an idea. Where are people? Uh, how are they? How is it structured? I, I just want to really get a better understanding of it. Mm -hmm. So it's bringing front office, back office, and providers to a little huddle. You know, we think about a sports huddle, right? We're huddling around a board with, you know, operational pieces. When we call from a readiness standpoint, it steps up. So do we have the staff we need? Do we have tech equipment? Do we have processes, uh, supply issues, facility issues that we need to talk about and bubble up so that somebody can work on that while we're serving patients? Uh, so that's, that's really that, that readiness component. And let me give you an example of something that we learned through the system. And one of the things that would start in the clinic, uh, one of the clinic's urology is very procedure-based. And one of the things that they need on a regular basis, daily basis, are scopes, scopes and towers. We learn through our DES that our emergency capital process was broken. We would have scopes that were constantly breaking, and so we would go in because it's high volume, and the scopes would break. We'd need to get emergency capital to replace it. And no one knew where to go, who to go to, what paperwork to complete. It was very cumbersome and really just kind of fumbling around through the process and it delayed that patient care. You need a scope, we need to scope patients. And so we realized we had an emergency capital process, we streamlined that. When we got further into it, we're like, wait a minute, um, we're breaking scopes all the time. We've got a capital issue too. We've got a capital process problem. So we're not going into that fiscal year with the right number of scopes. And so it challenged us to fix processes, but that kept bubbling up. You know, we got to our tier four, which is me reporting out to my boss, the COO, and really solving that those top top levels, you know, bringing in procurement, bringing in finance, and all those team members to really build out a comprehensive process, and then help everybody understand if we delay this, this is like a week, two weeks where we cannot scope patients, and it impacts twenty percent of our volume. So it it was really eye opening when we think about some of those basic processes. Had you handled that in that traditional format? How would it have been handled differently? How would it have been more time consuming? Would it have been stuck in red tape? I mean, what, where, where would it have gone wrong or just been more inefficient, I guess? Yeah, imagine me trying to get on all those key stakeholders at a higher level on their okay. calendar, right? To schedule a meeting. So just to schedule the meeting, whereas the huddle happens every single day. And so we're, we're constantly going through these huddles. And, 
and it occupies maybe 45 minutes of my day, but it's visible. You pull the pe the resources. You have that quick conversation. You pull the team together. Whereas you may wait, you know, three, four, five, ten days before you can get on somebody's calendar or get everyone together to talk about it, mm -hmm. uh, and then make sure that you capture all of those action items, and then you can get everybody together to start working on it within the immediate future. It's just a lot slower. Um, this expedites the process. We get through it much quicker. And then there's an organizational commitment, right? If we're escalating these things, we understand that if it's red, it's escalations, we've got to work on it because it is delaying patient care. So it's a, a quicker, expeditious, but also more strategic focus of resources. How are you tr tracking this? And I mean, like if you have a project and you've identified it, do you have a platform where you've got people assigned to certain details to yeah. see this through in a project management style? I and mean, what are you using to get everybody on board where it's visible to everyone and they can make sure uh, tasks get taken care of? Yeah, one of the key components of any leader is, you know, or I guess fundamental pieces of leadership is project management, right? Mm -hmm. And we're all busy, we all have a ton on our plate, but it's typically not, you know, bad people, it's bad processes. And so we make it visible with DES. And one section of the board of the electronic tracker is um, action items. And so we would put action items on, on the board and here's the due date. And we track when we started it too. And some of these take three months and you wow. may do a week or bi-weekly report out on it, but you're moving it forward and you're keeping it visible. Uh, and then also that gives you the opportunity for escalations. You know, one of my directors may go, hey Keith, I can't do anything more with this. I'm running into some challenges in prioritization at IS, you know, information services, I need some help. And so then that's a jump off point to, to have that escalation in that next tier of going, you know, we've got a contact from IS in that tier four huddle and they then prioritize that, that ask. Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned KPIs earlier, so, mm -hmm. How are you able to measure whether you're succeeding or, or need additional work on optimizing and becoming more efficient? And, and what are some of those most important KPIs that, that someone should be tracking and, and be aware of? Yeah, we broke it down into five main buckets. And it's uh, strategic when you think about the five because we have five days a week. And so each one of these KPIs or KPI buckets are focused uh, each day of the week. And so Mondays, we have access Mondays. Tuesdays, we have service Tuesdays, quality Wednesdays, people Thursdays, efficiency Fridays. So on an access, we, de we decide at that higher level, the tier five, what is our goal for that fiscal year? Uh, last year, we focused on bringing in 75% of our new patients within seven days of their request. So in a surgical specialty, we're saying that three out of every four, we're gonna get that patient in within seven days of the request uh, from that referral. We started out in the mid 50%, and we're well over 85 now. And so that that really benchmark or best practice is 75% and do that for surgical specialties is, is, is pretty unheard of. Mm -hmm. uh, service Tuesdays, that's really our patient experience. And our enterprise goal was to move 50% of our units or clinics, three percentile points and likelihood to recommend that clinic. And three percentile points doesn't seem like a lot, uh, but you gotta start somewhere. 
and you get higher up into that score, it's really hard to move that needle. So then we have that threshold of once we get above 85% percentile points, then we are just trying to maintain. Uh, but we got 60% of our surgical specialties to move three percentile points uh, or maintain that, that benchmark. Uh, Quality Wednesdays, we focused on prime metrics and we wanted to, as an enterprise, reach 47 of 52 prime goals. Uh, we did that, and then we maximized all of our financial incentives. And surgical specialties, I focused on three. What are the three that I could really impact? Blood pressure management, education, uh, SOGI, sexual orientation, gender identification. You know, in San Diego, we have a very diverse and inclusive population. We want to make sure that we're addressing our patients and, and talking and speaking to our patients uh, in that preferred manner. Uh, and then there's there's other components of that prime metric, you know, conversion of our uh, specialty referrals to virtual visits very applicable in this time frame. Uh, people Thursdays, really that's that focus on the engagement of our employees. There's a direct correlation. You raise employee engagement scores, you raise patient experience scores. So we, we built a survey that we send out daily or weekly, depending on that clinic. We give them their autonomy to, to how often they distribute it. But, you know, quick QR code, they pull up their camera, they can, they can see, they can go immediately to the survey, fill it out, four or five quick questions and tells us where they're at. Not, not necessarily are you happy, but are you engaged? Mm -hmm. And the engagement is basically focused on, did you have a good workflow today or are there some challenges that we need to remove for you to make it easier to do your work? And we, we got a 3.4 out of three. Our goal was three. This year, our goal is 3.5. And then Efficiency Fridays, that's finance. It's really, you know, we used to call it Financial Fridays, but we've, we've leaned towards efficiency. And so that's just really, really trying to get a positive variance to budget and then also looking at our, our copay collection. 90% copay is our goal. Because if you don't collect those copays on the front end, you spend an exorbitant amount of money trying to collect on the back end and then you lose any money essentially that you were going to collect. And so COVID really impacted this one more than, more than the other ones. Uh, it was really challenging uh, with, with the slowdown and the transition to virtual especially in the surgical specialty area, right? We had a lot of elective surgeries that we, we dropped and, and, and pushed out. And so February, we were at a positive 4.1% to budget. Um, and we were approaching 90% copay collection. We ended the year, I think at 72% copay collection, which is still uh, about $800,000 um, of copays and significantly uh, more than what we did the prior fiscal year, and then a negative 9.1 variance to budget. Um, but you look year over year, we still <clears throat> maintained volume. We had less of a uh, investment, and so still a success. We just didn't reach our goal of the efficiency side, which I'm sure most uh, organizations across the country uh, that were challenged there. Yeah. Um my my mind keeps going to to one aspect here though because this is we're talking about change here we're talking about different ways of doing things i know what it's like at any company i've been at when we do an overhaul we bring in a new platform or we uh, change a, a way of uh leading or meeting and and there can be those grumbles or that uh, resistance to change so how did you get buy-in? What was the buy-in like? Um, how'd you get everybody on board to, to embrace this and, and then take it to the next step? That's a great question. Uh, change is hard, but change is constant. And I think that's uh, really trying to identify 
who your stakeholders are. So you have to focus on those. You also have to bring in champions. And so with anything, um, you really have to figure out a communication and education plan prior to the implementation. And so the buy-in was tying strategy to our frontline employees they would work. They could, the employees, and I, and, you know, we look at physicians, providers, um, staff, front office, back office, regardless. It's helping them understand that their daily work does impact the enterprise and how does it impact? And this is gonna sound, you know, really small, but it was something that tangible that I took away from our front, you know, from conversations with our frontline and, and uh, back office, front office staff, the copay collection. They realized something simple and they can just see the needle move. Um, they could see the impact they were making. They knew what we were doing and what our baseline was and how much we moved it and uh, how efficient we were once we just started to focus on that, um, that copay collection. But ultimately it's helping them see that everything they do in their daily work is going towards something instead of it just kind of going into this, you know, cloud that, that uh, they have no idea what, what impact they're making uh, down, down the road. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one other thing that keeps going through my mind is uh, COVID-19. So you guys had set this up. You had a certain way of having these huddles, having this engagement. Now, perhaps some of your team might be working remotely. So what adjustments did you make? How did you get the buy-in then once you maybe had some changes in, in that workflow there, work where people are working from? Yeah, we had a bit of an advantage um, prior to COVID because we had already been doing uh, a lot of these huddles, especially tier two through tier five. It's all electronic. It's through video. You can't be all over uh, your vast footprint, um, you know, driving from place to place. So mm -hmm. the tier ones in the clinic, yeah, absolutely. They were face to face. The tier two through tier five, those were all through Zoom. So we had already okay. done a great job of embracing Zoom. Uh, so people working remotely, uh, without a doubt, uh, we we're already set up for that. But there were there's a lot more challenges with COVID. We had staff members who couldn't come to work consistently due to health complications, either theirs or their family members. And our schools are virtual through at least the first year, and parents are struggling with working remote while helping their kids with virtual studies. So we're still, you know, challenged by this, without a doubt. I think the saving grace uh, that we look through are the uh, the silver lining with COVID is the push towards telehealth. We could have a provider working from home in a professional setting with our MyChart video visit platform. They can work from home. Um, they can see patients. And so it's a little bit easier. Uh, it's, it's harder with some of the face-to-face, -face, right? We still have to have our nursing and, and uh, MA or LBN um, back office, you know, our APPs to come into the clinics but the demand isn't as much to get to the same volume, so. Okay, so you've talked, touched on a lot of aspects of these daily, daily huddles, daily engagement. Um, what are some first steps then that a practice can take if they wanna implement this, if they wanna make it a part of their practice and their habits? Yeah, it, it goes back down to your, your point uh, previously, it starts with buy-in. You gotta start having the conversations. You gotta identify the stakeholders. You gotta go to them and go, we wanna try something new and this is what it looks like. Uh, 
so the first step socializing it with the key stakeholders and then having a team develop that education our education came through that rapid process improvement workshop uh, which is a bigger uh, multi-disciplinary uh, event where you're bringing a ton of content experts together to think about redoing a process and so you've got to develop that education and then the implementation plan we did that within our rpiw uh, and then from there, it's just really focusing on once you've implemented, who's going to be, you know, helping everyone understand, you know, what that freedom is within the fences that you set. Uh, there's there's going to be iterative processes. You know, our times of the huddles changed multiple times. Uh, our readiness, you know, the operation that steps up that I talked about before changed and what it looked like. We added the F uh, for facilities. It started with steps. It's not a great, it's a great acronym. We love acronyms in healthcare. <laughs> yeah, um, right. But it, it, for it sure, was, it was bringing all of that together um, and through iterative processes. But it it starts with engaging those stakeholders, having the conversation, identifying those champions, then educating the team on how you're going to roll it out, develop that implementation plan, and then also look for ways to redefine that good. You know, today's good is not going to be good tomorrow. So what's that iterative process improvement that you're going to be working on? A final thought then. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you're going to be speaking at the Medical Practice Excellence Conference in October. Um, you're going to be talking on this topic. What's something, just to kind of whet the appetite of our audience, if they're looking forward to hearing you there, what's something they can walk away from um, that talk that they can then go apply at their own practice? Yeah, great question. And I appreciate the opportunity to, to finish off with this. This is a management method. This is the way we would, we would run our business operationally. So it's a management method that empowers our employees to problem solve and not just escalate issues to leaders who, you know, in our stereotypical model is, you know, I'm a leader, I'm a content expert, come to me with problems and I'll problem solve, which makes us feel good as leaders, but we're limited by time and we really have to empower those employees to not only propose a problem, but the solution and then help facilitate that conversation and make sure that they are getting to the right solution so that you, you as a leader become a facilitator more so than problem solver. You're still problem solving, but you're pointing them in the right direction. So this brings visibilities, uh, visibility to problems, tasks, projects, and then it holds people accountable with these timelines without making it punitive, right? We just make it visible. We talk through it. Uh, we all have a lot on our plate, as I said before. I subscribe to this, you know, subscribe to the school of thought that we don't have bad people. We have bad processes. Let's fix the process so that people can do their job. We're in healthcare. We're a helping profession. We want to do the right thing. We want to provide great care. Things just get in our way. And so this is a team-based approach to problem solving and process improvement with escalations all the way up to the CEO and an important cascade back down to those frontline staff members. All right. Well, Keith, uh, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing these thoughts with us. Thank you very much, Daniel. I appreciate it. Look forward to speaking with everyone at MGMA20. That's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Keith Payne. To learn more from Keith, you can hear him speak at MGMA's upcoming annual event. And thanks to R1, RCM, and to the Medical Practice Excellence Conference for sponsoring this week's show. 
To learn more about how to sustain positive practice performance, register for the upcoming event, positioning your physician organization for success in times of change. The event is Thursday, October 8th at 1 p.m. Eastern. To register, please visit r1rcm.com slash mgma. And to learn new skills and gain insights on making your practice more efficient and more optimized, register for the Medical Practice Excellence Conference that will be held October 19th through the 21st. Register today at mgma.com slash mpec20. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com or find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks. The popular buzzword we've been seeing everywhere is AI. But what we all want to know is how we can implement and use it to our advantage. When it comes to improving margins, accelerating cash flow, and optimizing staff performance, There's a one-stop shop using cloud-based predictive analytics. MGMA Analytics is your AI-enabled tool that upscales technology you've already been paying for, so you can silo your disparate systems and make data-backed business decisions. Visit mgma.com slash analytics and see how AI can revolutionize your finances in operations. Again, visit mgma.com slash analytics today.